anyone reads the four historical records of Jesus, they are struck by what at first seems a strange anomaly. The first three are, in many parts, very similar, even quoting verbatim from one another or some other source, whereas John's record is substantially different. Part of this confusion comes from the fact that we have not one other individual from ancient days, not one for which we have four independent histories. Some people, like the Caesars, are mentioned in multiple places. Of course, Jesus is also. But none of them have four different people who have first-hand experience write extensively about them. So we're left with this question. Why are the first three often so alike and the last account so very different? What we miss in our age of laser printers is the strong tradition of oral transmission of information in cultures previous to the printing press and in those today that do not have a written language. We find something that is to us quite different. When people teach or in some other way transfer information, they did it exactly the same way with exactly the same words in which they were taught. Not pretty much the same. Exactly the same. The first three Gospels were written early in the church's history and so when they tell a story that had entered the teaching curriculum, so we say, of the church, it was usually quoted with extreme accuracy. Sometimes with personal observations included. But John did not write his good news at the same time. Most everyone agrees it was decades later. So he did not need to cover the same ground the early three did. And so his record is quite different. Okay, why in the world am I bringing this up today? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. What should we think if, in fact, John did record an event which all three of the others did? What would we think? Well, of course we'd think it was important. Otherwise, why would he repeat it? No one would be surprised to find Jesus' crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection are included in all four Gospels. That we expect. It's the most important information any human has ever recorded, after all. Would it surprise you, though, to discover that there is only one miracle beyond the resurrection that is recorded in all four Gospels? Only one. You probably want to know what it is, don't you? <laughs> Let's see. There's his raising people from the dead. Nope, not even one of those events is recorded in all four. His first miracle, nope, only recorded once. He calms the storm with just a word. Oh, what an incredible demonstration of divine power, but no, John skips it. Jesus walking on the water, close and actually a part of this story. But only three writers included it. Healing the blind, the deaf, the lame. What? What's the one thing? Yes, yeah, none of those, and you'll be surprised. It's a meal. <laughs> a meal. No, not the Last Supper. That's not a miracle. Although it is recorded in all four histories. It's the feeding of the 5,000. What? <laughs> that is the only other miracle in all four Gospels? <laughs> what? And then, right after that, another miracle happens that is the only one John records that also made it into the other Gospels. So he only has two miracles that are in any of the other Gospels. The second one, Matthew and Mark, included Jesus walking on the water. So that's it. 
Of particular note in those records, by the way, the deep fear all the disciples felt when they saw Jesus walking on the water. That's included in all three. What a strange pair of events. Feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, and the disciples are afraid. Why of these two, of all the things Jesus did, why these two? Why are they so central to the understanding of who Jesus is by the disciples? And what does all this have to do with us? Four men, all disciples of Jesus, or closely associated with him, record the life of Jesus. But, of course, they each had somewhat different reasons, their own focus. Matthew, as a former sellout Jew, he worked for the Roman king, was mostly interested, so Jesus as the true king. (laughs) Mark, probably from Peter's recollections, was anxious to show the wonder of Jesus the servant. Luke, a doctor and a historian, he emphasizes the humanity of Jesus, God in human form. By the time John wrote, all of this was well known. Everybody had read these Gospels. Besides, he had a lot of years to think about all of this. And he recognized the difficulty. He and all those who had touched Jesus, walked with him, heard him speak, watched him, his wonders just flowed from him. They knew he was the Son of God. They saw him. But most of those who had seen Jesus by this time were, well, with him. They had died, right? So John has this deep, driving desire to introduce people to Jesus as the Son of God. People who, like us, will not see Him until the new creation. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. John has skipped ahead in his story. He just skips about six months. Luke records that Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. The apostles are given this special power and were sent out, we know because of the other records, in pairs on evangelistic missions. While that's going on, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus to tell him about an evil action of Herod's. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it and they went and told Jesus. And then right after that, Jesus' disciples show up again all excited. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. They'd been all over, casting out demons and healing the sick, anointing them with oil. And to this, the fact that people are everywhere begging for help from Jesus. They're all over the place wanting to be taught. Demands to Jesus and the disciples were coming from all sides. So he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They all get in a boat and go to a quiet, desolate area on the other side of the lake. That's the goal, right? But the people figure out where they are going. Thousands run to where they are headed. Well, under all this pressure, all this happened this day, this <laughs> a day, what would we do when those people showed up? Jesus, when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. But still, the day wore on. Soon it's dinner time and the disciples tell Jesus to dismiss the crowds so they can get back to somewhere where there's food. But Jesus said, they don't need to go away. 
you give them something to eat. <laughs> the disciples, all they talk about is the cost. So Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? This was Philip's home turf and Peter and Andrew's as well. So if anybody would know, you know, he should know. What was Jesus doing? He was rattling their cage. He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Even if you have money, guys, where are you going to buy the food? <laughs> Look around you. Where are you going to get it? Well, they didn't get it. The food or the point. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. That's 200 days wages. Eight months of money wouldn't cover it. Jesus asked them to check and see how much bread they can find. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? It appears the disciples didn't even have any food of their own. In any event, Jesus accepts the offering of the boy and, Jesus said, have all the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. 5,000 men, many with their families. And Jesus is holding one boy's lunch. <laughs> I wonder what's going on in their minds when Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. You ever wonder what it was like at the very beginning? Jesus breaking these little loaves and he's handing the disciples and they're looking going... <laughs> must have been fantastic. John wrote, Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. About 5,000 men and all those who were with them. The bread multiplies and everyone eats plenty. Like Moses and the manna. Remember, the Passover has just happened. The Passover where everybody's talking about Moses, the unleavened bread, and then all that happened is God rescued Israel from Egypt. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Twelve baskets for twelve disciples. There's enough left over, miraculously left over. I mean, Jesus multiplied exactly the amount he wanted, right? Miraculously left over. That each disciple has a large basket of food. This story maybe is about the disciples learning who Jesus is. You think? Maybe? In the other Gospels, we learn that Jesus orders the disciples to immediately return to the boat and to row back to their home area. Well, why immediately? When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, True, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. The people begin to talk and they make the connection to Moses and to the prophecy he made. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This must be him. And they were right. But they were wrong about his purpose. They presume that this prophet will lead them out of the bondage to the Romans just like Moses did their forefathers from the Egyptians. They wanted a solution to their political problems. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, 
Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus didn't want his disciples joining the throng in this misconception. He knew them pretty well. <laughs> he knew that's exactly what they'd do. Jesus will become king, don't misunderstand, but only through the cross. So, Jesus sends his disciples away and he withdraws further up into the hills to be alone and to pray. Remember the day that he's had. The disciples by now have started to row across the lake from east to west, but the nightly winds are quite strong and they are still only halfway across at 3 a.m., when the cares of this day have finally been washed away in prayer by Jesus. Now, he's certainly been watching the disciples' progress and from the hill where he is and, and no doubt praying for them all through the night. When evening came and the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. So, at 3 a.m., Jesus now goes down to the lake and walks on the water with the apparent intention of going before them, probably to get things ready on the other side. But the moon must have been out that night. <laughs> when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Frightened. When the disciples saw him walking in the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. The disciples see him, they see Jesus, and they believe he is something evil. How is it the people got the connection to Moses through the bread, but they didn't think about Israel through the water? Whatever the case, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, we have this fascinating interlude for which there are many more questions than answers, by the way, so don't think you're going to get your questions answered today, but at least not all of them. After Jesus tells them who he is, Peter begins to walk on the water towards him. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. How could he be standing on the water, standing on the water, and then begin to doubt? If he believed it was Jesus, how could a little wind frighten him? Too many questions, too many thoughts. But we do know that Peter fails. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus rebukes Peter for his limited faith and probably kind of including all of them because, uh, let's see, none of the rest of them even got out of the boat. Okay? <laughs> so, at least Peter got out of the boat. And then, okay, picture this in your mind. Peter and Jesus get into the boat. It's got to have been like surreal for these guys in the boat. There's two guys stepping over the gunwale of the boat from the water. It's just, it's just mentally quite a picture. It's kind of weird. And then two more amazing signs happen. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. The wind that they've been fighting for hours, the wind that 
caused the thrashing waves that scared Peter, stops by. And when Jesus strolled on over to the boat, they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Okay, if they were astonished to realize Jesus could saunter across the swells, amazed that the blast should so suddenly cease, this sudden teleportation, (laughs) can we call it that? It did him in. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. At last, they finally recognize that Jesus is more than just a man. More than just a prophet. But why did it take them so long? In fact, Mark wrote this, and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened did not understand about the loaves. They were astounded and they shouldn't have been. They finally recognized that He is the Son of God. But they should have known it when He multiplied a small boy's lunch into a rib-sticking meal for more than 5,000 people. And, miraculously arranged for each of them to have a full basket of food. Is he maybe saying, I'm trying to take care of you here? Moses and the bread from heaven. The first generation of Israelites that God rescued from Egypt with the hand of Moses, that generation was given bread from heaven every single day. Every day. And all the way to the border to the promised land. The whole time. And when they got there, in spite of the daily miracle of bread, and much, much more. They did not have faith in God to enter in. Not, not enough faith. No faith in the God who had shown them so many miraculous signs. The disciples lived every day with Jesus. The true bread from heaven. They have now seen Him perform innumerable miracles. They've heard Him teach for hundreds, maybe thousands of hours. Nearly every single day they had seen people believe. Jesus gave them power to do miracles in His name. But there's even more. Sometime before this, not long after the disciples first began walking with Jesus, another event on that very same inland sea happened. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? What sort of man? Their hearts must have been hard. If even with this history, six months maybe before, and after the feeding of the 5,000, they still feared rather than believed. How could Peter ever worry about wind having experienced Jesus' power over it in an even more desperate situation? But their hearts were hardened such that they were astonished to see these particular miracles. 
It took these miracles for them finally to place their faith entirely in Jesus. Everything is futile without faith in Jesus. Place your faith in Him, everything is possible. Did the crowd really have their faith in Jesus when they wanted Him to become king and make war with the Romans? Or was it more faith in their own might? They were just waiting for a leader to bring them to victory. What was the failure of those twelve apostles of Jesus? They didn't have full faith in Jesus. They should not have been astonished at His power. They should have seen from the simple miracle of multiplying the loaves and the fishes that anything He wanted, Jesus could do. The apostles finally got it. But remember what Jesus said to Peter about his little faith? He didn't have much. But he did have a little. If anyone has even a little faith in Jesus Christ, you can get there from here. You know? <laughs> Listen to this great story. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> His father believed in Jesus even if he couldn't believe in the miracles that he wanted. A little faith. And it was enough. Jesus healed his son. The disciples were astonished because, although they had seen the great power of Jesus, had been granted it themselves. They didn't yet believe He was the Son of God. They were scared a ghost might get them when they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do because they didn't yet understand that the One who created every spirit being and everything else was with them. Perhaps they couldn't believe He would be with them unless they could see Him and even when they could, Peter took his eyes off him and began to slip beneath the waves. But he had a little faith. Do we truly see Jesus as the Son of God? What will it take for us to finally put all of our faith in Jesus? To someone we love have to be on the edge of death? The man in that story? 
is a series of miracles really necessary before we will finally get it? What does it take to get through our thick skulls? That's the question here. Do we have faith that He is always with us? Do we believe that if Jesus is always with us, we can always do the work He gives us to do? Why did John record his, I I know Peter's and the other disciples too, but his failure? John's recording his own failure here. Because John has a purpose. A purpose stronger than ever over the years. He actually, it's more important to him. He wrote, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Life. And not just here. In fact, let's face it, here is nothing. Okay, here's, We're talking about life forever. Life in perfection. Life without any issues. What do you have to do? Believe. Believe. Have you believed enough to commit your life to Him? And that's enough. That's all it takes. He will help you in your unbelief. If we are His, all things are possible. We must understand about the bread. We must understand about Jesus walking on water. We need to get that into our heads. This one is the person of the Son of God in human form. And that changed everything. Father, that your Son came into the world, took on human form and lived. We'd like to think we'd be smarter than the disciples, that we'd get it. But we know ourselves well enough to know the reality is we probably wouldn't do any better than they did. Probably wouldn't be Peter even getting out of the boat. We'd probably just stay there. Because we need your help. We just aren't capable on our own. Without you, we can't do anything. But with you, with your Son, with your Spirit within us, all these things are possible. Everything you desire for us is possible and will happen. Now, how do we respond? Lord, help us to get to the point where we recognize who your Son is. At least that much. If we have that, the rest can go along. The rest will follow. It will just happen. So we pray, Lord, that you change us so that we do cry out, You are truly the Son of God. Your Son is truly the Son in human form. What an amazing truth. Help us, Lord, to live like it and share this truth with people like it. Thank you so much, Father, for the care that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.